Go with me to Genesis 3 and Proverbs 23. Genesis 3 and Proverbs 23. So, we're in this series called Better Together. Um, and we titled this series this, uh, we titled it Better Together on purpose, like we do most of our series, because we wanted to focus on relationships. Now, obviously we're going to get into how to tell if he's your forever love, and we're going to talk about like how to have the awkward conversation beyond swiping right and asking them out. We're going to talk about all that stuff, but what Brittany and I were realizing as we were talking about this series is the marriages that we really respect and the things that are helping us build a healthy marriage were not things we learned once we started dating. They are things that we learned through the context of relationship well before we ever met each other. And so what we wanted to do with this series, we kind of feel like we've done a disservice a little bit in the past by not focusing on the relationships that honestly, if you're not dating yet, the relationships that matter a whole lot more than your dating relationship. And, and, and the other cool thing about this is the tools we're going to talk about as we start this series are things that should already be in your dating relationship. And if they are not, they are things you are going to want to build into your dating relationship. So we're really excited about this series. Again, we're going to get to the fun stuff, right? And we're going to talk through dating. We're going to talk through how to build something that lasts. But before we get there, we wanted to talk about some foundational relationships that are important we're getting right before we start dating and maintain getting right even once we start dating and into marriage, all right? So I... I want to start this series with a talk around the thought, better together, better together. So let's pray real quick. God, we thank you so much that you are involved in every aspect of our life and that there is so much that we can continue learning and continue building into our life that helps us to live and life to its fullest potential. And we're excited to learn tools to help us build healthy relationships that lead to healthy marriages and healthy friendships, and a healthy relationship with you, and a healthy relationship with ourselves. And we thank you for that. Your name, amen. So if I could make like a broad sweeping category assumption about the relationships that matter more than who you're dating, it's this. I really think your relationship with God is foundational. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I really think your relationship with yourself is really important in the context of dating and marriage. And I really believe how you treat and relate to others outside of who you're dating, and that would include your boss, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your family, your parents, how you relate to those people is super important. So that's, that's what we're going to spend the next three or four weeks talking about before we get into the mushy-gushy romantic side of dating. So I want to talk about your relationship with God first, and I want to break this kind of into a couple categories. And I I have a couple points, and they're broken into two different thoughts. See, every relationship is built on what I personally bring to the table, right? Every relationship is built on, am I bringing my half? Am I owning my part? And then the other person owning their part. And so when it comes to relationship with God, it gets kind of tricky, right? Because we can't, like, God's not necessarily, he's not this human 
that we can walk up to and relate to. And because it's different, though he is a person and he is someone we can talk to and converse with and relate to, it's different because we can't see him, right? He's not in front of us. We can't FaceTime him when we're feeling lonely. And so we over-spiritualize it. And we overcomplicate a relationship with God. And, and I'm really realizing that in my own life. Like, I grew up in church. I've been doing this Jesus thing for a long time. And I can honestly say, it's only in the realization that I'm overcomplicating what a healthy relationship and me relating to God looks like that I've started to figure out some of this rhythm of this Jesus thing. And so I want to look at two different passages of Scripture and pull some components out of what God expects from us and what God brings to the table. So the first thing that I want to point out is this idea of responsibility. I want to make a big statement. God wants you to be responsible for your own life. This is the problem, though, is I think a lot of us treat God like a genie in a bottle and a problem solver. And some of us, honestly, depending on your theology, may even believe to an unhealthy degree that God is absolutely in control of every decision you make. And like we would all concede probably for the most part, okay, I'll admit that God doesn't decide if I wear my purple shirt or my blue shirt this morning, right? He doesn't care if I go right or left at the stoplight. And I've met people that are like, yeah, when I drive, I just ask Jesus to take the wheel so I can encounter who I need to preach to. Like, that's weird. Not, like, if that floats your boat, then okay, but it weirds me out, right? But I, I think we over-spiritualize it a little bit by statements like this. I'm just trying to find the one. This is, I, I hope I don't shatter your entire view of dating and romantic relationships, but if you're the one is in Africa without internet, does that mean both of you are outside of the grace of God now? Asking that question, does that, that trickle effect of this the one, the perfect destiny, see, we view it like this. God has this the plan for me. And I really do believe that we're going to talk about that. I believe he has a direction that he wants you to head. But we treat it like if I don't get the plan right, then I'm on to the B-level plan. And then if I don't get that right, then I'm on to the C-level plan. And if I screw that up, then I'm down. And we kind of downgrade ourselves back into coach the backside of the plane with Jesus, believing that we've totally screwed it up. And we can't find that in Scripture. And we place way too much responsibility onto God. And please understand, we're going to talk about tonight how you consult God in in your decisions. We're going to talk to him about how he should guide and direct your life. But this is what I do know. God respects our humanity enough to leave responsibility in our court. And yet we treat God like a genie in a bottle and a problem solver, and we refuse to take responsibility for our life. And we see this in the creation story in Genesis 3. I had you turn there. I love, you know, we know this story. We know the context of it. Adam and Eve eat this fruit, and there's all the jokes about why wasn't it chocolate cake and all that kind of stuff. They eat the fruit, and they sin, and they realize that they missed the mark, and they try to hide themselves from God. God was walking with them in the cool of the night. We see them in the perfect definition of relationship with God. And he's telling them things like, go and build, and create, and take over, and subdue, and we see this kind of co-creator aspect of God. And then Adam and Eve fall, and we see them try to hide from God. And God comes to them and says, where did you go? And they say, we hid because we were naked, and there's a whole message to be spoken about God responding with who told you you were naked. 
When we talk about how you relate to yourself, we're going to ask some tough questions about things we believe about ourselves. And we have to ask ourselves the question, who told us we weren't good enough? And we're going to get there in a couple weeks. But we see Eve, we see Adam pass the buck. Which is interesting, though, because in the context of the story, it doesn't say that Adam was far off and Eve took the apple and then walked it over to Adam. The context of the story is that Adam was standing right there. So God had every right to look at Adam and say, why did you eat that? And Adam's response was, it was her fault. She made me do it. And then Eve's response is, the snake made me do it. Which reminds me of, like, the dog ate my homework, right? Like, who's really going to believe that the snake made her do it? But we see, for the first time, humanity refused to take responsibility for their behavior. See, we do a great job when we're subduing and creating and climbing and having momentum. Yeah, fine, I'll take all the responsibility for that. That's all me. I got that. And then when things start falling apart, it was their fault. It was that situation. It's my genetics. It's my parents. It's what I was raised to do. And responsibility begins to fall apart. Here's the best definition of responsibility I've ever heard. Responsibility knows that I am where I am today because of the choices I have made. I am where I am today because of the choices that I have made. You are not where you are today because of your parents. You are not where you are today because of a genetic disposition. You are not where you are today because of God. You are where you are today because you have made these choices in your life that have brought you here. And when I realize that, I become free to engage God as the co-creator that he is. See, when God is no longer just a problem solver, he's a source of strength. When God's not just a problem solver, he's a source of vision and direction. When God's not just a problem solver, I have access to grace and mercy. But when the only role that God plays is I pull him out when I want him to take responsibility for my decisions, I put God in a box and don't have access to his omnipotent power. I am where I am because of the decisions I make. God wants us to take responsibility. This is the other interesting thing about responsibility, and this is something I'm learning in my own life. For some of us, and we're going to talk about this again and how we relate to ourselves, for some of us, we do not, we have learned responsibility to the point where we do not blame outside sources for our failure. But we do do a great job of blaming ourselves for our failure. And the problem is, when we are constantly holding ourselves back, blaming ourselves for our own failure, is we can't get momentum and move forward. I am where I am because of the decisions I have made. I place blame on no one, including myself. When I realize that by placing blame on myself, really what I'm placing blame on is an old version of myself. When I realize that this version of me has, if if I really am where I am because of the decisions I have made, then that means I really have the power to move myself away from this because of the decisions I make. But when I am where I am because of the decision the old version of me made, now it's the old versions of me job to move me forward. Responsibility says, in the moment, here I am, 
my decisions are data I can use to make better decisions in the future. That is responsibility. And that is the version of humanity that God wants to interact with because he can co-create with that. He can build a mighty future with that. He can overcome obstacles with that. We see in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. If God is for me, who can stand against me? But I have to be in the moment taking responsibility to see that work. Go with me to Psalms 23. Probably the most famous song. I really enjoy it. It's very poetic and flowy. There's a lot of awkward Christian paintings that have been made about this. But I think in the context of these six scriptures, we can see some real things about relating to God. We're just going to read it. I'll pull a couple thoughts out. The Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Three things that we can see that God brings to the table. And there's so much more, but I wanted to boil it down and keep it simple tonight. The first one is this. God brings direction to the table. If we're meeting God 50-50, part of what he brings is direction. And it says that he guides me in paths of righteousness. We've spent some time, even in the wisdom series, talking about this concept, trying to wrap our mind around this idea of direction and what God brings. Jeremiah 29-11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. It's Ephesians 2 verse 10. You are God's workmanship, created for good works that he had for you long ago. Psalms 139. You knew my days before they were even lived out. There is definitely this plan, this direction, this guiding that God has for us. I think we overcomplicate it when we fixate on a single thing. And and don't get me wrong. like There's people in this room, you've wanted to be a doctor ever since you were young. You will probably end up being a doctor. Some of us have really wanted to do some of these things. And I'm not saying not go for that. This is what I am realizing. I'm realizing like for myself, the direction that God has for me is I'm really good at two things. I really like fixing problems and I really like leading people. I really like fixing problems. I really like leading people. And when I've looked back on my life, every decision I have made has been on that path. From being a four-year leadership student in high school and leading the Bible club on campus to my time as an intern, to being a youth pastor, to working at the lodge. I was fixing problems and leading 125-person staff and developing leaders who have gone to other lodges. My current expression of that is being on staff as a young adults pastor here at this church. When we realize that God is guiding us on a path and heading us towards something, the pressure of getting every detail right starts falling off. Some of us are stagnant in moving forward and making poor decisions because we're putting too much emphasis on the details. 
Young adults get stagnant because they want to know exactly where they're going before they go. And then we get overwhelmed, and we get stuck, and we start being stupid. Proverbs 29 says, where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. We cast off restraint when we don't know where we're going. And we don't know where we're going because we expect it all to make sense. I love this. In Colossians 3, it says this, Let the peace of God rule in your heart and mind. If you break down some of those definitions, which always makes me feel so smart to say that I've done that, it it breaks down like this. The peace of God, the connotation of that is the settling of your soul. And guide means rule and direct. So that scripture is better stated. Let the settling of your soul that comes from God guide and direct the decisions that you make. That's the direction that we're looking for. That's the direction that comes from God. There have been a couple times when I've sat at major crossroads, the decision to stay in Centralia and not move to Denver to be with my family who was planning a church. I went for a big long drive from Centralia to Astoria. And it was on that drive I felt my soul settle and I knew I was supposed to stay. The decision to move here and not stay in Centralia. I was on an island in Africa among the snakes and squatty potties and horrible food. And I felt the settling of my soul that I was supposed to move here. That one was huge though because I had a job offer that was going to double how much money I made in another city. And yet I knew that I needed to move here. I moved here without the promise of a job. I drove forklift for like five months at 5 a.m. in the morning. Hated my life. But what kept me going was the settling of my soul. See, a lot of us make decisions without the settling of our soul, the direction that comes from God, and then we bail and claim that God wasn't in it. Instead of consulting wise counsel, but also making sure that you have a settling of your soul, because when the sea gets rough, it's the settling of my soul, knowing that Jesus is on my boat that keeps me in the fight. So the first thing we see from God is direction. The second one is this, is correction. God brings to the table correction. And this one was tough for me. I struggle with this. See, I think as Christians, we do a phenomenal job, phenomenal job, of calling correction everything but correction. This morning, I wrote in my journal, see, because when you know where your direction is, you have to begin to accept correction. Any ship that heads off for somewhere, if it gets off course, what's it called? A course correction. When I know my direction, I need to be open to people saying, you are now off course. And what we do in our journal is we write things like this, God, I really want to grow in. Hey, God, could you develop me into? Those are correction statements. And what we want is this flowery puppies and unicorn experience where we have all the upside of the vision we have without wanting to put in the work to get there. We want to climb the mountain and be the famous version that we picture ourselves of and the perfect version or the husband and wife or the marriage or whatever. And we have this picture of what we want and we don't want the correction it's going to take to get there. God brings correction to the table. I would ask the question, in your relationships, in your friendships, we're not even talking dating yet. Do your friendships have direction? Are the people that you are around going somewhere? I I love this. I love this statement. We all laugh about it. 
I'm just so sick and tired of the drama. Generally, the person who says that is the one who causes the drama. I have looked at people before and said, you are the common denominator. (laughs) People begin to fill their life with drama because they know they're not moving. Because at least it feels like they're doing something. Do your friendships have direction? Take dating out of it. Do your friendships have direction? How well do I accept correction? When correction comes, and of course correction comes from God, and I get that feeling in my soul that I know I wasn't supposed to do that, or I shouldn't be doing that anymore. How quickly am I to adjust my course? Or how much do I lean in and go further off course? If you and I, if if we are not able to receive correction, we should not be dating. If we cannot receive correction, your marriage will fall apart. And if we can't receive correction from people when we know they're right, here's a dating thought. When both of us would rather stay sinning than improve, and we refuse to receive correction from the people we're around. We're on a bad course, rough course. We have to be willing to ask the question, do I value growth over my comfort? Do I value improvement over being right? I can always find a way to be right about my perspective. I have to choose that I want to grow more. Last one, and this is such a simplistic look at God, guys. The last one that I think is so powerful that God brings to the table is protection. See, when we get God direction and God is really guiding and directing our steps and we're listening to his correction, the truth is this. We will find ourselves in tough spots. Psalms 23. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You've heard this said before. You will walk through tough times, but at least you'll make it through it. Which when you're in the middle of the tough time, you're like, screw you, that does not help me right now. <laughs> like grandma's little thing that she knitted that has Psalms 23 on it does not bring me solace in the moment. And my grandma literally has knitted something with Psalms 23 on it. But this is what I do know about God. is God is dedicated to guiding and leading. And he is dedicated to helping us get there through correction, in course corrections. So he is in the business of protecting us. The problem is we expect protection to mean that we do not encounter trouble. And we toss out scriptures and we remove them from the Bible, like consider it pure joy when you encounter trials and tribulations of any kind. Or Psalms 23, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, or even worse one, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. I heard this analogy I thought was super powerful and I want to take just a minute and use it. So if we take the connotation of you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies, the idea is this. If you, if you break that down and look at it, the idea is that the enemy has literally surrounded you. And just like we use the phrase, is Jesus in your boat? We also have to ask the question in light of what we're reading in Psalms 23, is Jesus at my table? Because we put multiple people at our table. 
right? If, if this is my dinner table, and on, in the context, Jesus should be sitting on the other side, and I should be accepting direction and correction from him. But what happens is I take my eyes and my gaze off of Jesus, and I look at the other people sitting at the table. My fears, my insecurities, my failures, what my family says about me, what my friends say about me, the stress I'm going through at work, the mistake that I've made. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, the things of earth grow strangely dim in light of God's glory and grace. When my eyes are fixed on Jesus, I get direction, I get correction, I get protection. But when my focus moves to another seat at the table, I find myself stagnant and giving up. See, we have to learn where to fix our gaze when things get tough. And the reason for this is important is because in a dating relationship, your gaze should never go to your partner when things get tough. Because they are not qualified, equipped, or able to pull you through the things that you're realizing you're walking through. But it's easy because they're there. Where we should be fixing our gaze is on the person who brings direction and course correction and protection. So what's Jesus ask of us? What do we need to bring to the table? There's two things. And again, oversimplifying, but I was trying to fit this into 25 minutes. The two things you need to bring to the table is this. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. You need to offer, sacrifice your life as, a, as worship unto God. That's the Ed's paraphrase version. You need to go all in with this Jesus thing. Jesus works when we go all in. We start getting direction, course correction, and protection when we go all in. Why? Because of this, and we talked about it in our wisdom series. It's when we go all in that we begin to see that Jesus works. When we see that Jesus works, we develop the fear of God, which is the beginning of understanding and wisdom. See, the fear of God, we've talked about it. It's important to repeat. The fear of God is not the belief that God is standing in heaven with a big stick waiting to hit you. The fear of God is the understanding that Jesus works, and I have tapped into a better way of doing life. And I am scared of my life without the context of being all in with Jesus. And yet we stop ourselves from going all in because we don't focus at Jesus on the table. But we look at the other things at the table. You will be amongst your enemies. You will be in tough times. The question becomes, am I all in enough with Jesus to fix my eyes and my gaze on him? And there's the practical side of this, right? There's the practical side of you should probably be reading your Bible. Probably should. Strongly recommend it. 10 out of 10. You should spend time in prayer. This is the caveat I want to make to that, though. Don't fall so in love with your Bible, you forget that it points to Jesus. Don't fall so in love with the spiritual practice of prayer that you don't stop long enough to get the settling of your soul. We have to understand that these practical disciplines of devotion the, the whole purpose of devotions is to stop the spinning of your life long enough to fix your eyes on the right seat at the table. That's the purpose of devotions. The purpose of devotions is not to post a cool scripture 
on your Facebook or your Instagram with like a picture of coffee (laughs) or a selfie with a scripture underneath it. That is not the purpose of devotions. The purpose of devotion is to stop the spinning of your world long enough to get some direction, some course correction, and some protection. That's the purpose of devotions. Should you read your Bible? Absolutely. If you need a reading plan, talk to one of the leaders here, and we'll get you on one. Should you spend time in prayer? Absolutely. But you do it because we realize that I need that direction that much. I need that course correction that much. I need that protection that much. I don't do it because it's some religious duty and obligation. I do it because it works. I do it because I see it working in other people's lives. Because I'm putting myself around people that have direction, that are willing to take correction. And I would strongly encourage you, do not be in relationships with people that do not have your best interest in mind. That is the idea of protection, right? We step in and provide protection because we have people's best interest in mind. Friends who allow you to stay the same version of yourself year after year are not the right relationships to have. Because I know this, if I really am getting this Jesus thing right, I will not be the same. And so if, if I'm valuing having a relationship with God correctly, then that should be reflected in the people I choose to do life with. And we're going to talk about in a relationship with others, that doesn't mean you just leave people high and dry. That doesn't mean you use your faith as an excuse to disconnect. That's not what that means. But it does mean that the people that I am spending the most amount of my time with should be moving me forward and helping me take a step forward. So relationship with God is not as complicated as we make it. I need to take responsibility for my half. I need to live life. Some of us feel stuck, and let me oversimplify this. You are stuck because you're not doing anything. You are stuck, not because God is not speaking, but because I am not moving. Momentum comes when I move. God's grace empowers me when I move. Some of us have been waiting for God to speak for so long, we're starting to stink. Right? I mean, water that doesn't move, people that don't move, they get gross and stinky and weird and green stuff grows and it's disgusting. Some of us in some areas of our lives, because we've put responsibility on God so much, we smell bad. And God's just saying, I can clean you up if you start moving. i got to take responsibility for my relationship with God. I need to realize that he brings direction to the table, but when I get on God direction, that means there's going to be some course correction. But at least I know God has my best interest in mind, and he will protect me along the way. And the way that I relate to God is I go all in. I go all in by the way I live my life, by spending time in his word, by praying, not because it's my religious obligation, but because I know that this works if I do it. And then I begin to develop fear of the Lord and it leads to understanding and wisdom and my life begins to change and it's this beautiful cycle of I'm all in and I get something in return. I'm all in and I get something in return. This is the great thing I love about God. is he's the God of the reset, not the restart. I think a lot of us are concerned and do not engage going all in with God because we are waiting to restart. 
If you want to restart, you're going to need to get reborn, actually, literally, physically. It's the only way to get a restart. This is what I can do. I can take responsibility and realize my decisions that I have made have put me where I am today. And so I'm choosing to restart in light of that information. I'm choosing to reset, I mean, in light of that information. I am choosing today to reset and keep moving forward. God is the God of the reset. Stop waiting for him to say it's okay for you to restart and just reset and go all in, get the fear of the Lord, go all in, get some wisdom, go all in, get some understanding, and get some momentum. So God can begin to co-create with you the world you were called to create. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that relationship with you is not as complicated as we make it. God, we thank you that you bring direction and you bring correction, you bring protection to the table. God, we are resolving to bring responsibility, to own our part, to go all in, and to begin to see that Jesus works and in light of that, gain momentum. We thank you so much, God, that you're moving and you're working in our lives, even when we don't feel like it, even when we can't see it. I pray for young adults tonight that feel like that they are stuck. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would show the area that they can move in. And in beginning to move, that your grace and your mercy would bless that. And they'd be more than conquerors like they are called to be. I pray, God, that we would reach the end of our life and be thankful that we chose in this season to get relationship with you correct. Thank you for that in your name. Amen. So next week we're going to talk about your relationship with you.